0: So what's the first of the elementary principles? Yeah, repentance of works that are dead or lead to death, right? We establish that sin or that sometimes even doing things that are in God's word, but with the wrong heart and wrong motivation. Uh, Then uh, what was the next one? Baptism. Baptism. We talked a lot about that the other night, about baptisms and and we talked about the t- instructions and teachings that are preceding or leading up to and are gearing a person up for being ready to be baptized. Uh, and then we talked about resurrection of the dead, didn't we? The hope that we have. And how we talked—we shifted our paradigm from the concept, the Bible is not trying to get us ready for spending eternity in heaven. The Bible is getting us ready for God's kingdom to come to earth, right? And then we talked about laying on of hands last night and how that's biblical and someone's sick. When we're ordaining someone, you know, when we were doing animal sacrifices, you would lean your hands on that animal and confer your identity onto it. And uh, tonight we're going to be talking about everyone's favorite topic, eternal judgment. (laughs) But before we do, let me tell you a story. Um, I was in hell once and, uh, it was actually, uh, in August. It was quite hot naturally in hell. And, uh, actually Stacy and Noah were with me. Yeah. And, uh, we were walking around and ran into a couple guys from Ohio who were in hell actually with us. Three of them were in hell with us. Yeah. Um, they were, they were nice guys. I don't know what they did to get there, why they went there, but they were there with us. And, um, I don't know why they went that time of year either. It was like, get it was hot. We talked to them briefly, um. I guess they were involved with YWAM, but they still went to hell for some reason. Um, but yeah, I, I recommend you go there if you have a chance. It's, uh, it's a cool place, a lot of history, um, you know, especially if you're really into biblical history and stuff. But you guys look really confused. Why are you confused? Oh, I went, I'm sorry, I went to Gehinom, Gehinom, the Valley of Hinnom, uh, just, just east of Jerusalem. Uh, That's when uh, Yeshua says, it's better that you pluck out your eye and lose one part of you than your whole body be thrown into Gehinom. He says, talking about the valley of Hinnom, the valley just between, that cuts between the Mount of Olives and the Mount of Moriah. And he says, uh, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better that you lose one part of you than all of you be thrown into the valley of Hinnom. Thrown into hell, your translation might say. But, uh, yeah, so it was a neat experience. Um, we've been to hell and back, but it's interesting because this valley, the Valley of Hinnom, thank you. The Valley of Hinnom, uh, became a symbol on earth where people could look and see for this place called hell. Now hell is an English word and, uh, it, you know, we don't really have, uh, a a great equivalent for the biblical words that are going to be used. And we might get into some of that a little bit tonight, but, Why did this place become synonymous with the idea of hell? You know, hell is a place that one might experience in the afterlife. But why did this place become synonymous with it? Well, at least during the times of Jeremiah, it was a place of child sacrifice. Uh, There was a god, a big giant statue set up in this valley. And it was a statue of the god of Molech. Yeah, and he had a big crevice in his stomach in which the priests of God, the Kohanim, would go out into the Valley of Hinnom and they would start a fire in this statue. The fire would get so hot that the statue would glow red hot. And the statue's arms were out like this, and the children of Israel would take some of their firstborn sons and lay them in the arms of Molech. And of course the children would die, they would burn up and become incinerated, and they would fall into the lap of Molech. This was happening during the times of Jeremiah and some of the sins that Jeremiah was calling out. And this was all happening in hell, in the Valley of Hinnom. Child sacrifice. Then later, after exile and return, the Valley of Hinnom became the city dump for Jerusalem and the surrounding area. People would haul their trash and dump large amounts of trash in the Valley of Hinnom. And they would set it on fire. That's, you know, they didn't have like a MDI or, you know, the Houston County Sanitation Services or anything like that. They burned their trash and they burned it in the Valley of Hinnom. And so if you can picture a large city taking all of its trash to the same place and burning it, it'd be, uh, you know, a place where you might say the worms never die and the fires are never quenched. And you can imagine there'd be wild animals wild packs of dogs roaming around scavenging for food there might be vultures birds of prey there might be people hiding in the caves that surround that valley and are tucked into the mountain the the, the sides of the the mount of olives there and as you went down if you looked to the east you would look up and you would see the slope of the mount of olives and even by the first century it was the place where you buried your dead it was the town cemetery And some of your relatives may have been buried there or great teachers and rabbis may have been buried there. And even to this day, more and more graves are being added to this slope of the Mount of Olives. And it is now, if not the biggest, one of the biggest cemeteries in the world is on the Mount of Olives. Nobody really knows for sure how many people have been buried there. So you can get the idea you're in the valley of the shadow of death. This may be the valley that Psalm 23 is making reference to. It. David is saying, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's a very steep valley. It gets about three to four hours of daylight every day. It's a dark valley. It's a picture of hell. There's trash burning. There's worms. There's smoke. There's the smell of burning, you know, refuse. And that is on earth the picture of hell. Has anyone ever been to hell? <laughs> Yeah, something you have? I ran through hell. You ran through hell. So, the Bible has a lot to say about hell. And I would argue, oddly enough, it almost describes hell more than it does heaven. But the church and Christianity as a whole doesn't have a lot of clarity on hell. Who goes there? If there even is a hell. And how long people stay there. There isn't a lot of clarity and unity on that topic. You have progressive branches of Christianity that believe there is no hell, and that maybe if really bad, evil people go there, they're incinerated and they don't spend eternity there. Then you have conservative branches of Christianity that believe if you die never accepting the gospel, you will burn and be tortured for all the eternity in this place called hell. Your soul will be tortured for eternity. So there's a wide spectrum of beliefs in within Christianity on hell. Do you think there's a wide spectrum of beliefs on hell within Judaism? Yes, there is. There is very little agreement on that topic as well. But next to suffering, the topic tonight is not about hell, but rather God's judgments of humanity. God is a judge. And sometimes we don't like to say that. It's a very unpopular thing to say. It doesn't make good bumper stickers or Facebook posts, does it? See, God allows us free will to choose our own path and all the while imbuing us with the Holy Spirit and then sitting back and allowing us to make our choices. We were created to do what? Choose, right? Every day we make hundreds and hundreds of choices and they steer us in our path of life and they dictate Are we growing closer or farther away from God? Like we learned two nights ago, the end goal is not eternity spent in heaven or hell. The end goal of our faith is to equip us and prepare us for eternity spent on earth, ideally in God's presence and in his kingdom. But not all will pass this judgment. Not everyone will be with God, sadly, on earth, right? I was gonna read a, a couple pages of this book real quick. I lost it though. Found it. This book, uh, the six, the six uh, elementary principles, six foundation of ancient Christianity. I'm gonna read from page 123 if I can have enough light here. Let me see, 123. A little bit of history here for you. During his tenure as governor over Judea. The reprehensible Roman governor Felix dealt in corruption, bribery, assassinations, and all manner of injustices, but that was only the normal thing for a Roman governor. What made Felix truly capable, I'm sorry, culpable to the Jewish people was his marriage to his wife, the beautiful princess Drusilla. She was the youngest daughter of the celebrity king Herod Agrippa I, who had died young and at the height of his popularity. It says in Acts 12:23, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. He left behind three daughters and a son. Drusilla, the youngest, was six years old at the time of her father's death, but she blossomed to become a legendary beauty eclipsed by her sisters. Uh, I'm sorry, eclipsing her sisters. She became, in the words of Josephus, the most beautiful of all women. She was married young to an important king from Syria, who converted Judaism just to marry the beautiful Drusilla, the Jewish princess. Then the reprehensible Felix laid eyes on her and determined to take her for himself. How did he do it? He hired a wicked sorcerer to use his arcane arts and powers of persuasion on the young bride, enchanting her and at length, convincing her to abandon her husband, the king, and to run off with Felix, the governor. She moved into her great-grandfather Herod's palace in Caesarea, and became the wife of a Gentile. The marriage embarrassed and scandalized the Jewish world. I have to imagine that when she came to her senses, Drusilla must have been terribly ashamed. She seems to have been seeking some path of repentance. Sometime into the marriage, her husband, Felix, told her about a curious court case involving a Jew accused by the Jewish authorities of various crimes. The prisoner, a man named Paul, believed in a dead man who had come back to life drusilla recognized him for a disciple of jesus and she said she wanted to meet uh, to be near him it says in acts 24 after some days felix came with his wife drusilla who was jewish and he sent for paul and heard him to s- heard him speak about faith in christ jesus and as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment felix was greatly alarmed and said to paul go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you again. We don't know if Drusilla got the message or repented, but it sounds as if Felix understood Paul's message all too well. Why did Paul's words frighten and alarm Felix, the Roman governor? The Greek phrase used in the book of Hebrews chapter 6 for eternal judgment, I have it written up here on the board, krimatos ahionios crematos ahionios so crematos is like uh, a, a judgment an affliction what does that remind you of crematorium crematorium, crematorium. all right it's to afflict something to, to 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 diminish it greatly just like just like if you were cremated would do right onios. it's where we get the word um an eon Sometimes you say, I've been waiting for eons in, for you in the grocery store. and eon is a long span of time. And this conjugation is saying basically endless eons. Okay? So eternal judgment is an affliction that lasts for eons, is the writer of Hebrews is using that phrase. Let's see where it's used. You guys want to turn to some... Bo- now, th- tonight is going to be, in terms of the volume of passages we're going to be visiting tonight, the largest volume, okay? So hang in there with me. We'll, we'll get through them, but you're going to your fingers are going to be a little bit tired, but you're going to be a little bit more biblically literate. Let's go and see how these phrases are used. Go to Matthew 18:8. 8. Matthew 18:8. 8. I want this side over here to go to Matthew 18:8, 8. this side over here going to give you another verse. Matthew 25 45 to 46. Matthew 25 45 to 46, okay? So Matthew 18:8, 8. I'm going to write it up here I don't know if you can see that, 25, 45 to 46. All right, who has Matthew 18.8 and can read nice and loud for me? You got it, Julia, go ahead. If your hand is set, causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to be your life, maimed or crippled, than to have two minutes or two feet, and be thrown into eternal fire. It's better that you be maimed or crippled than be thrown into eternal fire. That, that Greek phrase there is the crematos ahionios, the eternal fire. And that's where we get the crematorium. It's the idea of fire. It's the idea of burning something down to just simply ashes. Okay, who's got 25 versus 40? Got it? Xavier, go ahead.
1: Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye did it
2: not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into
0: life eternal. You're that everlasting punishment. It's that same exact Greek phrase right there that, that our master is using. The concept of judgment coming in tandem with the age to come is prevalent as well. Remember, we talked about the two resurrections the other night, right? The resurrection of the righteous and the resurrection of everybody else, the universal resurrection. And then with that comes the judgment. What event did that follow? What was the, the second resurrection? What did it come after? Does anybody remember? No, The millennium, the thousand-year reign, right? right? All right, and then it's the second resurrection. And then that is the dawn of what we call the Olam Haba, the age to come, okay? Now, at that moment, at that resurrection, at tandem with that is the great judgment, okay? That's the God sifting out, and he's determining the sheep and discerning the sheep from the goats, let me show you a few verses where that, that's prevalent. Go to Matthew 25, verse 30 to 32. Somebody over here, Matthew 25, 30 to 32. i I'll write up here. Somebody over on this side, if you would, go to um, Matthew 13. Matthew 13, 40 to 50. Then I need someone to go to Matthew ten fifteen. Then I need someone to go to Matthew eleven, twenty two. And then one more person go to Matthew twelve thirty six to forty two. of verses. <clears throat> we'll, I think we'll get them all covered here. So we're looking for the idea of the judgment of God being in tandem with the second resurrection. So who's got Matthew 25, 30 to 32? Anybody? Mm-hmm. Go for it. Read nice and loud. Okay. Nice and loud.
3: Be him, and all will separate people one from another as a shepherd,
0: separates sheep from goats. You hear the language there. He's going to sit on his throne and he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And he says he's going to arbitrate between all the nations. Okay, who's got 13, 40 to 50? Who's got that? Matthew 13. Go ahead. Nice and loud, Anthony.
4: Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered up and burned, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who practice lawlessness. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, in that place will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their fathers. He who has has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid and because of his joy he goes out and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for fine pearls. Upon upon finding a pearl of great value, he went out and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea, gathering things of every kind. When it was filled, they pulled it ashore and they sat down and gathered up the goods into the containers, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and separate the wicked from among the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place will be weeping and
0: gnashing of teeth. Oh, that's it. Cool. So what do we hear there that's similar? It's this idea of sorting the good from the bad, right? And who has the job of doing that? Yeah, it seems like Yeshua is sitting on a throne of sorts, sitting on a judgment seat, and he's sorting. Let's go to Matthew 10, 15. Who's got that? Got it? Brenda, go ahead. Sodom on the Day of Judgment than for that town. So, uh, what town is he talking about there? Is he talking about Capernaum or Chorazin? Uh, no, he's talking about towns Chorazin. that won't accept. Towns that won't accept. Okay, okay. Chorazin. Oh, yeah. Theta. Yeah, Chorazin and Bethsa- Bethsaida, yeah. Um, Who's got Matthew eleven twenty two? 11, I Oh, I, right, just that. Okay, who's got Matthew 12, 36 to 42? I saw unto you
5: that every out of words that man shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by that word I words they shall be justified, and by thy words, that words word thou shalt be condemned. Then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh out of a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it. But the sign of Prophet Jonas, the Prophet Jonas. And as, as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights
0: in the heart of the earth. So what did Yeshua say will be the, the point of judgment for us in that verse? Anybody hear it? Somebody say it nice and loud. What will be what will be the discerning point for us? Words. The words that come out of our mouth. Yeah, that's important too to remember that, right? So we just covered a lot of verses, and they had a lot of similarity, but some differences, and they all kind of paint and give us uh, different clues of what what the judgment day will be like, right? And we kind of start to piece this together. So the eternal judgment begins with judgment day, where we're sifted, the hearts of men are tried, we're examined based on some of the words that come out of our mouth, based on some of the things we have done, and then our edict is given, our, 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 uh, our uh, what's the verdict, is given, right? By the judge. So when does this eternal judgment begin? Well, we can answer that question by examining some of the rhythms of our holy days, can't we? Especially in the fall. What was the first of the fall holy days? The Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets. All right, where there's a loud shofar. We hear lots of shofars blowing, don't we? We heard a hundred blasts of the shofar just, just uh, what, two weeks ago or so? And what was the next holy day? What, well, the Feast of Trumpets is to do what for us? A teruah, right? What does a teruah do? Awaken. Awaken. Prepare. Get ready. snap, Snap out of it. It's saying, it's a herald of the coming king, isn't it? It's saying, get your, get your house in order. The king is returning. Make sure all your ducks in a row. All right? And then what's the next holy day? Ten, we have 10 days of awe. We call them the 10 days of Noreem. Noreem, the, the awesome days. Where we're supposed to be contrite and cognizant of our actions and our words and, and who we have offended or who has offended us. And making peace. The king is getting closer and closer and closer. And then what holy day do we have? Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, that's the ultimate judgment day, isn't it? It's a day where it's like we have examined ourselves, we have prepared ourselves, and now we're going, we're sending a delegate into the presence of the king. He's going into the Holy of Holies. And hopefully his prayers and our petitions, they'll be heard and accepted before the king's presence, before the throne room, before the throne of the king. And so then what do we have after that? Five days later, what do we have? Sukkot. Congratulations we made it to Sukkot right? And that is why it's the season of our joy. God's presence is on earth again. Sin has been wiped clean from the earth. It's a time of renewal. It's a time of celebration. Let's party. We made the cut didn't we? We're saved. We're redeemed. This life of suffering is over right? And that's the essence of Sukkot. Now we can be in his presence again. So in addition to these passages we read in Matthew, we could also glean a lot of information about the coming judgment and its length in Daniel chapter 7. Go with me to Daniel 7, verse 9. Daniel 7, 9. I think we're going to go to verse 14. Daniel 9, I'm sorry, Daniel 7, 9 through 14. Who's got that and can read real loud? Anybody? Daniel 7, verses 9 through 14. Got it? Go. Real loud.
2: As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from the Morgan. Thousands on thousands attended him. Ten thousand times, ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were over. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words of the horn was speaking. I kept looking, until the beast was slain, and his body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power, all nations and peoples of every language worship His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and His kingdom
0: is one that will never be destroyed. So you hear the language there. He's been given the authority. The Son of Man has been given the authority to judge the nations and arbitrate the nations. Right. Let's go on to Daniel chapter 12 as this vision of Daniel continues. Daniel 12, 1 through 4, we get a little bit more information about this judgment. Who's got that? Daniel 12, 1-4. Anybody? You got it? Read it nice and loud. At
6: that time, Michael the Archangel, who stands guard over your nation, will arise. Then there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. But at that time, every one of your people, whose name is written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those bodies lie dead and buried, will rise up, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. Those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like stars forever. But you, Daniel, keep this prophecy a secret Seal up the book until the time of the end when many will rush here and there and knowledge,
0: knowledge will increase. increase. So a couple things I want to point out about these verses. Uh, the first one is that it said uh, go back, can you go back and read um, I'm sorry, you just closed it out. Yeah. I wanted you to read, I think it was verse maybe verse 2. Uh-huh.
6: Many those whose bodies lie dead and buried will
0: rise up Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up So this is talking about the second resurrection, okay? But just before that or I'm sorry, maybe it's after that, verse 3 it says those whose names were written in the book mm-hmm. You know, during during uh, the 10 days of all between between Rosh Hashanah, the feast of trumpets, and between Yom Kippur, we say the books are opened mm-hmm. and our lives are examined. And edits are made in God's book, is kind of the thought process there. And you want to be in the book, don't you? And that's biblical credence to the idea of our names being written in the book. But then it says in Daniel chapter 12, that many will rise, some to everlasting contempt. And it actually says, some to everlasting shame and contempt. The Hebrew word for shame is, uh, let me just make sure I got it right, is haraf, right here, haraf. Everlasting shame. This is when, when Rachel in Genesis 30 says, and she becomes pregnant with Joseph, she says, God has taken away from me my harath, my shame. And it says, "sum to everlasting harath and contempt, which is daraon, daraon, contempt. The only place this is used in, is in Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66. If you want to go to Isaiah 66, verses 19 to 24, but it's, it's important we point out a couple things about Daniel 12 before we go to Isaiah 66. It says some to, it says haraf olam, haraf olam, which is eternal shame and da'ra'on, contempt. Okay, that's eternal judgment, right? Let's go to Isaiah 66 verses 19 to 24. Isaiah sixty six nineteen. 19, hopefully this rain holds off just long enough.
3: and upon swift these to my holy mountain Jerusalem, saith the lord as the children of israel bring an offering
0: and a clean vessel into the house of the lord uh did you go to verse 14 oh, i'm sorry verse 24 go all the way to verse 24 from one Shabbat to another all, all flesh shall neither
3: shall their be
0: shall You hear the language they they will be abhorrent they will be a daraon they will be a daraon to all flesh those who have gone up against Jerusalem So, there's another uh, verse I want to take you to. Paul echoes this idea in this language of King Messiah taking his seat, just like we read in Isaiah 66, the taking of the seat. Go to 2 Corinthians 5, 10 and 11. 2 Corinthians 5, 10 and 11. You guys hanging in there with all these verses? I know it's a lot, but at least you can't accuse me of picking one verse out and trying to (laughs) preach a whole sermon on it. 2 Corinthians five ten and 11. Who's got that?
1: For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Messiah, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God. And I hope that it is known also
0: to your conscience. So you hear the language of Messiah taking a seat and judging, right? Is that the, Who is that? The
7: seat of Moses?
0: I don't know. I don't know. The seat of Moses was maybe just a, uh, maybe just something in the synagogue that the the rabbis would have sat on and began to teach from. Um, so yeah, I don't know. That's the seat of Moses per se. It's the seat of judgment. It's like a throne. So yeah, that's what I'm perhaps. Kind of I just lost my train of thought. No, it's okay. It's okay. Um, the idea of Messiah sitting on a throne and judging, right? Now, who all is getting judged in 2 Corinthians 5? Everyone. 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 Unless I heard it wrong. <laughs> Everyone. I want to read another passage from this book here on page 132. It says, In apostolic theology, the doctrine of eternal judgment did not function as a threat with which to frighten people into the kingdom. Instead, the early disciples saw it as a promise of hope that in the end, everything will work out right because God is going to reward each man according to his deeds. Although the righteous and the innocent might suffer in this world, they will find reward in the world to come. Although the wicked might seem to prosper and live full and happy lives in this world while they victimize the weak and Perpetrate injustices, George Soros. They will get what they have coming in the end. Amen? Amen. And man, I hope there's eternal judgment for the uh I was just saying pharmaceutical companies that that uh inflict pain and suffering and poison into people's bodies for the sake of monetary gain. I wouldn't mind if they experienced a little bit of eternal judgment, but that I'm that's just me speaking for my flesh here. Confidence in the ultimate justice of God inspired the apostles and their followers to fearlessly face down injustice. And persecution. They patiently suffered ignominy and imprisonment, that's a big word, under man's crooked system of justice because they had confidence in the final judgment. In other words, they're like, you know what? We can suffer through this injustice because we know that God is just. Are there any injustices in the world today? Absolutely. And we don't have to get all worked up about those. Yeah, we can fight for justice. We can promote justice and live justly but we don't have to get all worked and been out of shape if there's a lot of injustice going on in the world. That's, that's the world. so the world does. But we rest in the fact that God is just and he will judge those who have lived unjustly and have perpetrated an injustice. He says they willingly sacrifice their own comforts and pleasures in this world because they look forward to the reward of the next. So what was it? That so frightened Felix, the Roman, that sent for Paul and then sent him away. What was Paul saying about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment that so alarmed Governor Felix? It was probably something along along the lines of what we're reading in 2 Peter chapter 3, if you want to go there. This might be the last verse I take you through tonight. 2 Peter chapter 3. I'll write up here on the board. And we're going to look at verses... uh, Seven through fifteen. Seven through fifteen, and see if we find any judgment language here. Second, Is it, Peter. Second Peter three, seven through fifteen. Anybody have it and can read nice and loud, Stacy?
7: But by the same word the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. For the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens, A new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him.
0: So there we have it. We have a lot more information about the coming judgment, don't we? So all the verses I took you through on the board here and others all speaking about the judgment and the eternal judgment. Let's kind of do kind of a, a group effort here, and let's spit out and talk about and discuss what we know so far about eternal judgment. Somebody just, let's just start sharing things. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be fun. Fire. At least not for those who are unrighteous, right? There's fire. I heard somebody say fire. What else do we know, Xavier? I think it's
2: at least pretty safe.
0: Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Just spit it out, guys. Don't, don't wait. Just on our words. what we'll be, we'll be judged on our words. Yeah. What else? Judged by, Judge by righteousness or unrighteousness. There's Shamed. going to be shame for some. Of Na- teeth. Wow. That was creepy.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. wow. I, I, I feel like maybe you both gnash your teeth a lot there. Yeah. <laughs> Almost. Yeah. You're finishing each other's sentences. <laughs> Yeah. What else? Why gnashing of teeth? Because it's a sign of pain and discomfort, right? What else is there about judgment? Eternal burning. Eternal burning. Thousand years. Did we see thousand years about the. Or are you saying after a thousand years? Yeah, I just remember thousand years. Okay, yeah, you remember there is a thousand year period and then the resurrection, but it doesn't say anything about judgment lasting for a thousand years. Just want to make sure we're clear. Uh, everyone anything? Will be everyone will be judged. Second, there will be a second resurrection. There will be a second resurrection. The heavens will pass away. Remember, there was something about an interesting verse in Second Peter. He said, "The celestial bodies will be burned up." Isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah, what else? Yeah.
5: El pasarán, pero mis
6: no, no. <laughs> no.
0: This is not that kind of a church now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What did you? What did she say, Bob? Heaven and earth will pass away, but his words won't pass away. Yeah. Anybody else?
1: Hell is a place on earth.
0: Hell is a place on earth, yeah. What's Patrick's song he sang the other night?
1: We've
0: got to change the lyrics on it. Anything else?
1: There's hope in repentance.
0: There's hope in repentance. And it, remember, 2 Peter said that God is patient, patiently waiting. He's a loving Father. He doesn't hope that anyone go to eternal judgment, right? What else? Everything will be exposed. Everything will be exposed. Man, that'll be a day. New heaven and new earth, yeah. Anything else? New spiritual body. New spiritual body, yeah. You know, anytime you're, you're, you're fighting with your spouse about money or possessions or, you know, not having this or having that, you know, just remember it's all gonna burn one day. Your spouse is more important, right? Anything else? There was emphasis on peace in that last. In that last... There was an emphasis on peace? Okay. Anybody else? Two kingdoms? How so? Well, you got the kingdom of darkness and then you have the kingdom of light. Yeah. Kind of course, like one being exposed and judged. Yeah. Anybody else? Have it? What, did, what did you learn from the verses we read tonight? We're trying to piece this puzzle together of eternal judgment. You know, what I found interesting was the part
3: where it said
0: the heavens will burn and be on fire. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and heavenly bodies being burned up. Yeah, it is interesting. Now it now is. So, we learned a lot about eternal judgment, but we didn't learn other things, did we? There are still some questions that I have that you might have. And let me ask some of the que- I'm going to pose to you some of the questions I have. Number one, some souls, will some souls be an everlasting punishment and fire, or will some be burned up completely and annihilated if that is the case who goes where and why and for how long will mortal bodies die in the second death or just these celestial beings who have sinned against god i'm not sure having the answer to these questions though is not essential to my moving forward to maturity i know that god is a judge He will one day judge everyone. Some will go to everlasting contempt and shame. Some will go to everlasting life in his presence. And to get into the latter, I need to have faith and trust and belief and actions that are in alignment and fruit that's in alignment with that belief in Messiah. And then that allows me to go on to maturity. Being uncertain as to the answer to these questions does not affect or diminish our assurance of salvation that you and I have. Having, the, having a question mark at the end of these questions I just asked you does not affect God's love for me or my desire to live holy and set apart this side of the kingdom. Like with any other topic, where the Bible does not obsess, we too should not obsess or divide. Maybe you sitting here tonight within the sound of my voice are fortunate or enlightened enough to have answers to those questions I just posed. More power to you if you do. And those discussions maybe you can have around the fire later. But the goal of tonight and this teaching is to get us proficient and cognizant of the fact that God is judge, and there will be an eternal judgment. And there will be eternal life. That's my goal tonight. It's to get you proficient in the last of the six elementary principles so that we can move on now to maturity. Many of you within the sound of my voice have come up to me throughout the week and said, man, these are elementary principles, but they still seem really deep to me. And I still have learned a lot. I, I realized I did not know about these elementary principles. That's awesome. That's really encouraging to me. And, and me as well, just in studying and preparing for these each night, I've learned a lot as well. So what does maturity look like now, if we all think we're ready to move on to it? Well, opposed to what you might hear or see on the internet, maturity, and I believe the writer of Hebrews has this in mind as well, maturity is as simple as being more like Yeshua each day, each month, and each year. Maturity is joining and union with with him through suffering for him. Going on to maturity is putting on the full armor of God. And waging war for the spiritual well-being and encouragement of your family and brothers and sisters and Messiah or others under your influence. That's what going on to maturity looks like. Now, there might be some icing on the cake moments where you get to learn some cool, deep Hebrew insights or Greek insights. Or you get to unravel and maybe have some revelation about this prophecy or that prophecy. That's icing on the cake. But maturity, ladies and gentlemen is becoming more Yeshua-like and leading other people to that. It's putting on the mind of Christ. And if you do one to the exclusion of the other, you're going back. You're losing your maturity. Let's go back to Hebrews 6. And I want a reader to read it. Maybe somebody who hasn't read yet tonight. Anybody? Have Hebrews 6, 1 through 3?
2: Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teaching about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rights, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so.
0: God permitting, we'll do so. You guys ready to move on to maturity? (laughs) I hope so. Um, If you're new around here and this has been challenging, this has been insightful, do me a favor and just let me know. If uh, you've grown in your faith because of these, let me know. I would really appreciate your feedback. Um, If you haven't grown at all and it's been very boring, then just keep it to yourself. (laughs) (laughs) But let's, uh, let's take a few minutes. Do you guys have any questions or comments you might want to add and again be prepared for me to say this phrase a lot I don't know um I've already shared with you my heart on things I'm not sure on uh but you know if uh maybe you have some other insights you want to share about eternal judgment this is your opportunity anybody yeah Suzanne
3: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: Versus the rich man who went to each one or whatever he's yeah. that to me has always stood out I and
6: mean, we've talked about it and talked about it. Yeah. It, it. yeah.
3: it is like a whole nother slice of this struggle of what happens next. You know, right. What is a who
0: goes there? Mm. Yeah, it's really kind of insightful into the, the, I hate to use the word, like imagination, but at least the thought, the thoughts and understandings of the afterlife back then and what that was, yeah. Anybody else have a question or comment? Uh, scanning the crowd here. So your hand up. Yeah, Gene.
2: It's always bothered me, and, and, and obviously being polite, I just keep my mouth shut. But you, you, you'll hear the term, oh, well, you know, They've died and gone to heaven. Yeah. And maybe it's more from the pulpit than it is from the from the Bible, because it seems to me that you go to sleep.
6: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: even when King Saul, when they summoned uh, Samuel, mm-hmm. uh, he was kind of bothered. I think he was uh, enjoying his rest. Yeah. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a viewpoint of the afterlife is that we we just are sleeping um, like in the Amidah uh, it's blessed are you who keeps faith with those that sleep in the dust um, and it says in Daniel uh, 12 I believe it was some will be awakened to everlasting contempt and some to everlasting life it's so, definitely a viewpoint I've never died so I can't tell you for sure is so. um, Karen okay so this is something that I personally
8: struggle with it's like I struggle with sin all the time and I may say something or think something or do something presently and I ask for forgiveness and I've got a whole life full of things that I did Mm. or things that I said that I'll never remember. Mm. How do I receive repentance from that? Do I just have a blanket repentance? Do I go before Him and go, show me every single thing <laughs> that I've yep. ever done and said? And how do I receive repentance for that, for the things I don't remember, or the, you know, like the, right, like they say, you know, the, the sins that are intentional and the sins that are, that you do that you're not even aware? Yeah. Of yeah. Doing. Yeah. So <laughs> the idea of repentance for past and present sins is really, sometimes it weighs really heavy on me because I'm going, how can such a righteous God look upon me and still allow me to not be judged? So that's terrifying because who I was 20 years ago, 30 years ago is not who I am now, but I still have that as a part of me, and I thought, you know, if I ever meet myself at Judgment Day, I'm, I'm going to be repulsed by what I see, right. who that person
0: was, and yeah. can I escape that? <laughs> yeah, so for those who can't hear, she's asking, you know, I have like years and years and years, like decades of things that I've done that I can't even remember. How do I repent for those, and will I be judged because of those things? And Did I understand your question correctly? Yeah, yeah it's like in Yom Kippur, you know that long list of sins we go through? Uh, and it's like every possible sin that a person can can commit and we all respond with amen. That's kind of the essence of it, but I wanna take you to Ephesians chapter two. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, right? So your outlook was not good, right? Karen Hills, Gabe Rutledge, our outlook was not good. We were dead in our transgressions, agree with that, right? In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, right? But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our sin, our transgressions, and it is by his grace you have been saved. So there we have this idea of even when we're dead, God extends grace. When we were dead in these transgression, willful or unwillful sins, God is rich in mercy right? And it's like, we could go through, like, my sons who have disobeyed me, you know, whatever, how many times. It's like, to me, that one apology, that one coming back to me and giving me a hug and saying, Dad, I'm sorry. I love you. It covers a multitude of sin, doesn't it? If you're a parent in the room, you know that feeling, right? And it's like, wow, I love you, my son. Welcome back. You are forgiven. And and God is so rich in mercy. He doesn't continue to bring up those sins and say, hey, you forgot to apologize for this one. You forgot to apologize. I can't forgive you until you apologize for that one, right? What kind of father would that be, right? God is rich in mercy. And he says our sins are as far as the east is from the west, right? It's like he's blotted them out of his memory. And so if you're here today and you're like under this kind of condemnation of, I've done things in my past and I haven't repented of them, or will God forgive me of that if I haven't recalled it and spoken it and confessed it? absolutely yes he will he knows that you've done it he knows your heart and he knows that you have repented and that you desire a relationship with him and that's that moment you go up and you give him a hug and say i'm sorry father will you forgive me and he's like of course gabe rutledge you've been a hot mess and when you were dead in your sin i loved you still and i've forgiven you right so yeah hopefully that encourages you today if you have that you god is rich in mercy right so that answer your question cool
1: So I got a verse to go along with that, Karen. And so um, Psalm 19, 12, and 13. And David said, Who can discern his errors? Or some translations say, Who can discern his hidden faults? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from willful sins. Let them not dominate over me. So even David says, mm. you know, I don't
0: know what I do, but forgive me anyway. Yeah. yeah the voice of the enemy is always trying to pull us back and, and re-identify us, not as a child of God, but as a lost sinner, right? And condemn us, speaking words of condemnation. That's why it's so important. You know, it says, in Messiah there is no condemnation. If you are speaking words of condemnation to people, you're not speaking on behalf of Messiah. You're not speaking words that are Messiah-like. You're speaking words that are adversarial-like that are Satan-like. Be careful with your words, right? That's how we're judged, it says. Do not speak words of condemnation into people, right? Leave that up to God, your creator, to do, if he needs to. But in Messiah, there is no condemnation, right? In Messiah. <laughs> Let me stress that. So, Noah? Yeah. You yeah.
1: Know, in, in Israel,
0: when we went in the valley, they yeah. still have yeah. the still it in there, from the villages. Yeah, There's yeah, trash. yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Noah was saying, there, um, when we were down in the valley of Hinoam, there's a, val- a valley to the south and east of Jerusalem called Silwan, and uh, they still will throw trash out of their backyards and into the valley. So it's still kind of, kind of in a way, treated like a dump. So, yeah, anybody else? Miss Helen? I just want to give Mr. Jim two
5: pictures. And 9 5 and 6 and the PZLT 12 seven. It's, it's concerning the dead. Um, what they, where they are, what they're doing.
0: Say those verses again. Ecclesiastes
5: 12 and 7, and Ecclesiastes 9, 5 and 6. Right. The living know that they shall die, but the dead know
0: nothing. Ecclesiastes, I'm sorry, one more time.
5: Ecclesiastes 12 7, and Ecclesiastes
0: 9, 5 and 6. Alright, I'll leave those up there for people to look at. Any other questions or comments, guys? Let's take a couple more and then we'll we'll call it a night. So let's go to Suzanne and then Xavier's got his hand up. Go ahead, Suzanne.
6: Yeah. the second
3: group of people are those that sadly are not
0: covered
6: under yeah. those
3: are the ones that
0: we're supposed to be winning to the Lord right. in so they're not in yeah. Time. yeah, we should be heralding the kingdom and the judgment, right? yeah, absolutely um, Xavier, before I take your question or comment uh, music people, do you guys want to pick out some songs real fast? And I don't know, as many songs as you want, whatever songs you want We'll, we'll play some music. Yeah. Just surprise everybody. Uh, Xavier. Uh,
2: two, hopefully, quick questions. The first is I wanted to say I've, I've always appreciated that when you don't know the answer to something, you just tell us that instead of pretending that you know it. Yeah, that's yeah. Pretty, that's pretty awesome. Thank you. I share the same indecisiveness as to whether the wicked will be annihilated or burned forever. I'm in the same, so I don't know. Yeah. This is which way you go. We can move on to maturity. Yeah. Now, what if, but what about the person who believes that every every single human being receives eternal life? Can, does that person actually believe in eternal judgment? Can that person go on to maturity, or is that a little too
0: far? Yeah. If someone if if someone believes that every single human, upon resurrection, is going to basically choose uh, the gospel or choose salvation, or um, or God's just going to give them a pass, and they're going to have eternal life. Yeah, I would say that's unbiblical. Yeah. yeah. There, 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 may, there may be, I, I might provide a little bit of room for someone who, who might say that at the, at the, after the first resurrection and during the millennial reign or something like that, sure. that people will turn and choose the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and worship the King Yeshua. Right. Um, I would allot room for that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would say, and that's called universalism. Right. Believes that all will be saved, and and really like and there's a a famous book I read years and years ago called Love Wins by Rob Bell, who is a heretical pastor, um, Christian pastor, progressive pastor, um, very very progressive. Um, at a time I was reading a lot of his books though, um, just to kind of get a grasp on what his theology is. And Love win basically implies that that um does God love everyone? And the answer is yes. Okay, so is God going to get his way then? If He loves everyone, is He going to? Is anyone going to be damned to hell? And the answer is no, because no. God' love wins. And um, that was the premise of his book. And he was an amazing writer, an amazing speaker, and communicator, and won a lot of people over to that position. But I just don't. That doesn't hold biblical water. So. Okay, and then the, the
2: second thing, just a minor note, something to consider on the Second Corinthians five passage. It does say everyone will be judged, but. Starts by saying the mm-hmm. so I think just for I think that's the judgment for rewards. For mm. That that one. I agree with the rest yeah. of the
0: rest of the So yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. All right. Does so anybody else have a? I'll take one more. I guess while they're getting music out. I can't see you. Oh, is that John? Yeah. Hey, go ahead.
2: Yeah, Yeah. Right, right. I would would be the first to
8: second where, you
4: know, the Right yeah
0: right, kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of there's the question you know, like the the tribes living in the Amazon that never heard the gospel but right. but died are they what, what are they going to be damned to hell? you know it's a really, really tough question, and with the baby part it's it's easier to answer. Um, if you lost a baby through miscarriage or you lost a baby at a very young age or something like that. Um, yes, absolutely. I believe that they'll be they are They're well below it, what we would call an age of accountability and never had the opportunity to hear and understand and grasp the gospel of, of Messiah. And yes, absolutely. We'll have a share in the in the kingdom and and put, be be caught up in the resurrection um, in terms of like people that have never heard the gospel. Um, there's different schools of thought on that. Uh, just to be completely honest with you. Some would say well, the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all flesh and they, that people can come to faith in Messiah through visions and through, um, you know, uh, uh, revelations prompted by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all flesh on, on, on earth. Um, and and so everyone has a choice. That Basically, this, this school says that, that everyone will, will at some point be given a choice. They will at least be presented with it some way. And I don't I don't know that I agree with that, the other school of thought would be that at the second resurrection, they'll be judged based on their deeds, uh, what they did and did not do, knowing that because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all flesh, they'll know that their deeds were either wrong or they were right. And then they will be given a chance to proclaim Yeshua as King because they've been spared in this in the second res- resurrection um, and judged based off of their deeds. So really that is a very deep and hard question to answer. And... I'm going to have to give three words, my least favorite, but I have to say them. I don't know. Um, But I I can rest on this, knowing that God is just. And knowing that God will deal justly with all of humanity. Um, Knowing that God will hold people to a standard to the extent at which they knew the standard. Does that make sense? That's, That's what I believe about God. Um... And it's, that's a really big question, though. And um, that's why I think we should we should work hard to share the gospel and, if necessary, use words. Right. <laughs> so very good question, though. And I hope I don't leave you hanging on that. But, but any other? Yeah, Kirk. Okay.
3: Is that where I don't quite understand some of the Jewish belief systems in marriage, the good deeds? Mm-hmm. They base a lot on that. Sure is
2: is
1: that that second uh
0: resurrection that they really focus on well so okay so like in jewish theology you would do the torah um as a way of securing your place in the age to come uh you know or, or the or the kingdom and your ranking within that kingdom um there's a grain of truth in that, and there's also it's leaving out an important factor and that is we don't we don't we're not saved by doing the Torah or fulfilling commandments we're saved by faith and trust in Messiah, and then that prompts us out of love to do the commandments um, so yeah i I think uh you know Judaism without Yeshua is missing the cornerstone um, but as as Paul says. Uh, what will their coming to Messiah look like? It'll be like life from the dead, which is resurrection language, right? And he goes on to say that all Israel will be saved. Um, So what that will look like, again, I'm not sure in terms of a a Jew who has lived righteously all his life and kept the commandments and has been a very merciful human being and been gracious and, and showed the weightier matters of the law and really embodied the nature of God, but never was presented with the gospel, um, where will that all shake out in the resurrection in terms of eternal damnation or eternal life? I'm not sure, but the judge that we will have is, is just. And, um, I, uh, I always say, uh, we, um, we have a hard enough time. It seems like to just get our own flesh under submission, don't we? And, um, my, sometimes my my mind and my my thoughts wander to other people, and I begin to ask, you know, th- theoretical questions like, um, yeah, like who's going, like Jews who don't believe in Messiah, and 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 I think I my attention instead needs to be shifting towards, Gabe, are you living out the gospel and the calling of the gospel? Um, are you bringing your flesh? Are you crucifying your flesh every day? Um, as opposed to who's going to be there and who's not. Um, but it, it's good to conjecture on that. But it, I think it's still OK to say, you know, I, I don't know, but God is just. So, yeah. All right, guys, thank you so much for your attention and you can continue to worship tonight as they lead us in some music. But um, like, again, I hope these these teachings have been a blessing to you and encouragement to you. And thank you so much. Again.